Lord Jesus Christ, you are here among us. You walk in our midst and you speak to us your words of promise. So Lord, may indeed we open up our hearts so that we might hear from you. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Advent in the Anglican tradition can be a bit jostling at times. Uh, If you're like me, uh, if you had an upbringing like mine, uh, then church in December is when you started singing songs like Silent Night, uh, Joy to the World, The First Noel, Uh, and that's, I I don't mean to um, judge that or diminish that, but for churches who walk according to the traditions of the ancient church calendar, those songs are reserved for Christmas Day and the subsequent 12 days of feasting that follows, because right now, We are in midnight of the church year. Advent is a season of darkness and of mystery. It's a season of unanswered questions. Like the prophets of old, we observe, we look around and we observe the devastation of our world. We look up into the night sky and we shout out, oh God, where are you? One only has to open up the pages of the Star Tribune to find illustrations suitable for Advent sermons. Carjackings in 2020 and 2021 combined uh, have amounted to 3,879, 500 of which have involved guns. So that means that one out of every 100 Minneapolisans uh, have had their car stolen. And I know there's actually some of you sitting here today who have experienced that firsthand. Uh, Others of you here have witnessed uh, tremendous amounts of extreme violence right outside of your own home. Well, not only is our culture growing, not only is our city growing, groaning, uh, but creation is groaning as well. Just this last week, tornadoes tore through large portions of the south and several dozen people are missing. I can't even imagine what Christmas is going to look like for those families this year. These days feel like apocalyptic times. Apocalypse comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means unveiling or revelation. Paul Kingsnorth writes about this often. He says, in apocalyptic times, things are revealed which were previously hidden. The world is shown to be in a different shape than the one that you thought that you were living in. So in this sense, the entire pandemic has been an apocalyptic event, hasn't it? As it tears through politics and culture and even our home lives, it shows us what is weak, what is true. It shows us where the lies are in our society. And these are things that we dwell on in particular during Advent season. Fleming Rutledge, one of the great Advent preachers of our day, says Advent is not for the faint of heart because it is a season of truth-telling. And the truth is that the world is not as it should be. Now, while our culture deals with this by hyper-commercialized, over-sentimentalized nostalgia, the church is called to be a teller of truth. Well, what is the truth that we proclaim in this season? That light breaks forth in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ has died for our sins, Christ has risen to eternal life, and Christ will come again to make all things new. This is the gospel that we proclaim every single week. And when these truths are proclaimed, the powers and principalities of this world tremble. 
So what I would like to do this morning is move us through the three passages uh, that we read this morning, painting a portrait of God, of a God who steps into our dark world and provides hope and joy to our weary souls. So let's start with Luke's gospel, shall we? Here we see John the Baptist in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance. And specifically, he has things to call out, to bring into the light habits of thought that had emerged in the Jewish people. Specifically, this belief that they're simply by their ethnic identity, they were standing in a sign of God's favor. We're descendants of Abraham. Surely we won't experience God's judgment. Surely he will save us. And John calls them into a life of repentance, calls them into justice and fairness and charity, not just in their religious lives, but in their vocational lives as well. And then we also learn that John confronts the rulers of his day, specifically going after King Herod. And that's exactly what got John into trouble. You see, King Herod had married his brother's wife. Uh, They had unlawfully received a divorce, and then he married her. And this was forbidden by Jewish Levitical law. And this is no small deal because Herod's unethical marriage disqualified him from being the true king of the Jews. In other words, Herod's throne was a sham. It was a lie. And John was saying that the true king was coming. Get ready. The true king is about to step into our midst. He says the axe is laid at the root of the trees. The winnowing fork is in his hand. The chaff will be burnt with unquenchable fire. He says, I've baptized you with water, but one will come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Do you hear the themes of Advent pouring through this passage? Repent, turn, judgment. My goodness. God's kingdom reveals the brokenness of our world. So now let's turn to our prophet Zephaniah. Now it feels a little bit like cheating to read only the last half of Zephaniah chapter 3. This is the the final verses in Zephaniah's book, and they don't all sound so cheerful as the ones that we just read. Leading up to this, the prophet has been lamenting the oppression that their people have been experiencing for hundreds of years. Foreign nations have pillaged their land, taking uh, away from them the fruits of their labors, their valuable goods, and even taking away their people and enslaving them. Israel is in devastation when this is written. But it's into this context, it's into this devastation that Zephaniah speaks these words of hope. Zephaniah says in verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments from you. He's cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, Lord, he's here, he's in your midst. You shall never fear evil. You see, those enemies that had stolen the fruit of the land and enslaved the people who had made the lives of the Israelites completely miserable will do so no more. And furthermore, Israel's own destructive habits will be dealt with. You'll read there in the passages that the Israelites, they had kept people who were physically handicapped as second-class citizens. And that also will be done away with. God says in verse 19, I will deal with all of your oppressors and I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast." And I will change their shame into praise in all of the earth. So six months ago, we held uh, an Easter vigil service. Uh, If if you're not familiar with our tradition, that's a a Saturday night service. And we did this at the Parkway Movie Theater. It was one of my highlights in ministry. It was so much fun. 
Uh, these, we read like, it's a two and a half hour service. We read like five or nine passages of scripture. It's easy to lose count uh, for these. But a lot of the readings are dramatized. Um, Larry was dressed as Moses. It was so magnificent, Larry. <laughs> uh, they're uh, dramatized. Well, we're dressed as Bible characters for this. There's tons of musicians. Uh, there's lots of artwork and flowers are everywhere. There's just a lot of beauty in this service. service. It's absolutely extravagant. And uh, this passage was read at the Easter Vigil, this passage from Zephaniah. And this one wasn't done with quite as much production to it. Elise, one of our children's leaders, who I think is down in one of the classrooms right now, uh, she read it with my daughter, uh, Lena, who I think is also helping right now, or, or playing church hooky. She's, she's downstairs helping. Okay, great. So they were downstairs, uh, or I'm sorry, they were at the Easter Vigil um, reading this, and they came out wearing white clothing, and they just simply scattered some flower petals around as they read this passage, and the room was completely electrified. It was like the words from this passage had just possessed their entire being in that moment. The room was electric. The Holy Spirit sort of broke into that room and just filled it with light, that dark room. The scriptures were absolutely alive in that moment. I think everyone was holding back tears as they heard these words of life and healing just pour over us like a healing balm. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, I will gather you all together. How badly do we need that now as this dispersed congregation? You know, I, I know many of you are joining us on the, on the live stream right now, desiring to come for that day in which we can all be together. And the verse continues, For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. I will restore your fortunes before your eyes. So not only does God reveal the injustice and the brokenness of our world, which we saw in Luke's passage, but we read in the prophets that he also promises to heal our brokenness. And that brings us to Philippians. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And then later he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. He's coming. Paul is writing to a colony in the Roman Empire, where the title Lord was reserved for one person, Caesar. It was expected uh, here in Philippi, as well as all throughout the Roman world, that you were to celebrate the Lord Caesar on his birthday and other sort of imperial festivals. In Rome, Caesar, and only Caesar, is called Lord. Now, to be fair, he kind of deserves it. It's impressive what he's been able to pull off. The entire Roman Empire was held together by a peace that they had been experiencing. A century before this was written, there was a great civil war throughout the empire, and eventually it was ended by, Roman, by the Roman military, controlled by one of the Caesars. So this Pax Romana was maintained by the Lord's heavy-handed and brutal rule. And it's into this context, where Caesar is Lord, where Caesar holds the peace, it's into this context that the Apostle Paul writes, the Lord is at hand. Because he's not referring to Caesar. He's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the true king, is coming into the world to claim what is his. He says in verse 7, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of Caesar or the peace of the president, or the peace of a reformed police department might be able to guard your bodies 
And those are things we should try to secure peace in our land. I don't mean to, to downplay that. But those things might be able to guard the peace of your bodies, but that's about it. God's peace is not from this world. God's peace surpasses human understanding. God's peace goes beyond whatever comforts the peace of this world might be able to temporarily create. God's peace reaches into the depths of our hearts and the depths of our minds. He stills the anxious soul. He comforts the wearisome mind. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God won a victory over enemies much more cunning and dangerous than the Roman Empire. So a day or two after Thanksgiving, Molly and I received an email from someone who used to attend our church a while ago, and I'm going to intentionally change some of the details of, of his message. But he wrote to us these beautiful words. He said, I'm so thankful that God brought us to restoration, to where you are. He says, it was at the very beginning of our journey of hope and of healing. He says, we cried many services at our first several services, at our first or we cried many tears at our first several services as a cathartic release for the years of trauma that we had experienced. And he says, there was one Sunday in particular that I was moved in a significant way when I came up for communion. The person serving me bread looked in my eyes, said my name, and said, this is Christ's body, broken for you. That wasn't me, by the way, it was someone else. And he says, I immediately started crying. I'll never forget that experience of how personal Christ's sacrifice and presence is for me. Restoration is a safe place to experience the hope and the joy of God. So brothers and sisters, during this season of Advent, we look forward to the day in which God's peace will rule completely throughout our cosmos, over every kingdom and every corner of creation. But here in the meantime, in this, in this time between the two advents, we still get to experience the peace of God ruling in our hearts. God defeats the chains of sin. He heals our broken hearts. He gives us courage to proclaim the good news of his kingdom. The light breaks into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, these are heavy days. All of us carry with us uh, concerns of our world, concerns of our homes. Lord, these things are overwhelming, Lord Jesus. But during this Advent season, we remember, Lord, that you are the God who breaks into our darkness. That you walk among us. You bring peace into our lives as a foretaste of that great day in which the peace of your kingdom will rule every corner of this world. So Jesus, during this time of Advent, we pray boldly that you will come again. Come again, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.